Well, tonight we're continuing our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism, and we've uh, been working our way through the section of the Apostles' Creed. And if you remember, if you go back, it started with God the Father and what we believe about God the Father, a rather brief section there. And now we're into the part where what we believe about Jesus the Son and the whole structure of the Apostles' Creed walks us from through his humiliation and then back up to his glorification. And we're at the point now in our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism where we're, we're reaching the bottom of Jesus' humiliation, of his humbling here on earth. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, if you remember, we, we talked about Mary and Jesus' humiliation and being willing to go from being God to being born of a human and taking on human flesh. What a humbling thing. Last week, we talked about Pontius Pilate. And talk about humiliation again for Jesus, God himself, to humble himself beneath an earthly ruler, an illegitimate earthly earthly ruler who rules against him, even though he was completely innocent. And for Jesus to say, okay, I'll take the punishment. Now, Lord's Day 16 and 17 that we're looking at tonight are his final humiliation. It brings us to his death, um, to his burial down into the ground. And we're going to look a little bit at the turnaround and the beginning of his exaltation and the resurrection that happens as well. So I'm going to have you recite with me Lord's Day 16 and 17, um, six questions long. I think you can hang with me for six questions. I'll read the question. Would you join me in reading the answer? Question number one, why did Christ have to go all the way to death? Because God's justice and truth demanded. Only the death of God's son could pay for our sin. Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death does not pay the debt of our sins. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. What further advantage do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may dedicate ourselves as an offering of gratitude to him. Why does the creed add, he descended to hell? To assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. And finally, How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he won for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. So Jesus, was, Jesus died and was buried. That's what we're at the heart of what we're looking at tonight. That's not new news for any of us here. 
It's the basis of our faith, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried. But yet Jesus commands us, even though that's not new news, Jesus commands us to remember his death, right? Remember as he has the disciples gathered around in the, in the upper room and he's serving the Passover, which he's changing into the Lord's Supper. And he says, this, do this in remembrance of me. He tells him, you're going to keep doing this. I want you to remember what this is all about. I want you to remember my death. And that's why we're going to have communion here tonight. He calls us to remember his death. I think there's a couple different ways of remembering that he's talking about there. You know, we, we can remember, first of all, the, the simple, easy definition, right? We, we remember facts. We stick them in our head and we know them. We remember history. We just call to mind and we remember that past, right? Or we remember that fact. I can remember that two plus two equals four. I remember that. We can remember our phone number, although with cell phones, it's getting harder and harder because I don't even remember what my number is anymore, right? We can remember a birth date. Don't miss your spouse's birth date if you're married. Remember that, right? Stick it in your head. We, other facts, other truths that we remember, we can call to mind that past or that fact. But I think, I think Jesus wants us to do that. Don't forget that I died. Don't forget that I rise again. But I think more than that, I think there's a deeper remembering that Jesus is calling us to here. And I thought of that the other day. I was reading my, my Frederick Beekner devotional book. And he had just a little paragraph here about memory. And uh, this is what he wrote about remembering. He says there's two ways of remembering. One is to make an excursion from the living present back into the dead past. So the old man remembers how things used to be when you and I were young, Maggie. And that far away look in his eyes is partly the beer and partly that he's really far away. Right? So it's the living present going back to the dead past. The other way is to summon that dead past back into the living present. The young widow remembers her husband and he's there beside her. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he was not prescribing a periodic slug of nostalgia. I think there's something profound there about how we are called to remember. We need to do a lot more than just remember the fact and say, yep, check, Jesus died. I think we need to let that memory, that truth, that reality come alive again, that past come alive again within us. We need to let... Well, that's interesting. Youth group is preparing tonight. It's probably something for their group tonight. But I think we need to let that come. We need to let that truth come alive in us, right? And, and we need to let Jesus' death and resurrection that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, a fact back then, we need to let it become a part of life today. A part of who we are. A part of who we're becoming. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 6 with me tonight. Romans 6 helps us do some of that remembering, helps some of that come back to life again. It's interesting, as I was looking over this passage and, and the verses around it, Romans 5, we're not going to look at that, but Romans 5 really goes back, especially verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Those help us remember the facts. They remember the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? It gives us the salvation equation. Paul walks through that whole equation of how it all works, how how. 
sin came through one man. Right? We looked at that earlier in the Heidelberg Catechism. Through one man, every one of us was affected by sin, infected by sin through Adam. And he go- then goes on and saying the same way, salvation now comes through one man, Jesus, who died and rose again. And really our catechism, the first question and answer 40 that we started with, um, continues with, with that fact, right? Question and answer 40, why did Jesus have to die for us? It says to satisfy God's justice and truth, right? It, it pays the debt. Jesus paid the debt. Jesus' death checks the boxes of what has to happen in order for us to be forgiven and set free. And so, and so Romans chapter 5 is going through those facts and telling us, yes, that changes our eternal future. Jesus checks all the boxes. He, he fits. He makes it work. And now we not only have the hope, but we have the assurance, Right? That we will be welcomed into God's presence for eternity. And we'll be welcomed there not because we earned it, not because we deserve it. That's not part of the checklist. Not because we're good enough, but we will get there because Jesus died in our place and rose again. Because of that fact. Jesus paid our debt fully. Remember, fully human, fully divine. So he can stand in our place and yet he's still perfect. It all works out. There's your facts. We're celebrating. But Romans chapter 6 is something different now. It brings us beyond the facts. And it helps us remember what his death and resurrection now means to you and me today. Not only does it help us remember what Jesus has done for us in the past. But Paul is talking about what Jesus is doing with us right now in the present. Listen to verses 1 through 14 of Romans 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been unified with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And we've read these, this passage enough, we've read these words enough that, that we don't get surprised by any of them, but 
But if you were a first-time reader of this letter, I think there's some words here that would have jarred us, would have jarred you. In verse 2, he begins by saying, we died. You died. I died. What, what, how in the world does that work? How can Paul say, we died? Death is something we're scared of, right? Death is something we avoid. It's something we resist for as long as possible. And, and, and when people we love, when we have to face that with people we love, it shatters us. It can devastate us. And yet in this passage, Paul says that death is something that we choose. It's something that we as followers of Jesus Christ necessarily have chosen. When we are united with Christ, he says, when you become a follower of Jesus, we are united with him in his death, Paul says. You and I die. And and he talks about that when he's talking about that early in that first paragraph. He twice uses the imagery of baptism. He says in verse 3, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. In verse 4, he says we were buried with him through baptism into death. Baptism into death. I I think we need to see a a fuller understanding of baptism. I think we're right. Baptism is is a sacrament that signals the entrance into the family of God. It's an it's a entrance into the community of faith. I think that's exactly right. It's also an entrance into the experience of Jesus' death and resurrection. We share his death with him. The image comes through most clearly through immersion baptism, right? We mostly sprinkle, but... But the image comes through when, when you immerse somebody in baptism. We used to do that in the, our church in California. We did, mostly immerse, we did mostly sprinkling baptism too. But once a year, we would host a, a Sunday morning service out at Lake Yosemite. Uh, and for those adults who wanted to be baptized, we would offer an immersion baptism in Lake Yosemite. And let me tell you, that was a reservoir from the mountain streams. That was bitter, bitter cold. It was so cold. And yet the imagery was perfect. And so, and so those who wanted to say, yes, I want to be united with Jesus, would come out into the lake. And in that moment, they get put under the water. They disappear. They're buried under the surface. And they come up a new person. They come alive again. The burying and coming to life is a powerful image for those who, who are baptized into Christ's death. It's an image of washing, and it's an image of dying and rising again. Paul uses that image powerfully here. He says, for all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have died. Necessarily, you have died. So what is it that dies? He says we share in Jesus' death. What dies? Obviously, it's not a literal physical death because here we are still alive. Well, question and answer 43 tells us that we just recited together. It says, it says that our old selves are crucified. They're put to death and buried with Jesus. And it goes on to say that the evil desires of our flesh no longer rule us. So what is it that dies? It's our sinful nature. Our old selves 
that die, that get drowned under the water of baptism. As Paul uses the words, he says, we die to self. It's really what it means to make Jesus Lord and Master, isn't it? It's to take ourselves off of the throne of our lives and to put him there. It's, it's to take the title of boss off of our doorway and to put it on God's doorway. It's to give God daily control of our lives, every detail, to die to self and come alive to Jesus. I think that's what Jesus meant. Matthew 16, when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And often we, we understand that take up your cross part as, as yes, there's burdens we need to bear. Right? There's sacrifices we need to make in the Christian life to follow Jesus. He calls us. It's hard. We take up that cross and we go. I think he's also saying that there's deaths we need to experience. We need to take up our cross. I think there's a picture of us climbing on that cross and a part of us dying on that cross daily. I take up my cross, it means I'm willing to put a part of me to death. That old sinful nature that often feels very comfortable. I'm willing to kill. It's not going to be easy. Know that. I think we all know that. We've lived long enough to know that because that, that sinful self is not going to go quietly. It's not, it's not going to just say, okay. It's going to fight to live on. That's our sinful nature, fighting to stay alive. Paul talks about that. He says, the good that I, I want to do, I don't do. And yet, the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. That's that sinful nature, staying alive, fighting to, to not be crucified, fighting to not be drowned under the water of baptism. Right? There's a daily process of dying as we're fighting the good fight. Right? And so Paul says to the Colossians, he gives them this command, and to us too, he says, put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And there's a continuous putting to death here. It's not a once and for all. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, Filthy language. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. It's a continual dying and coming to life. Right? So, so two weeks ago on Sunday morning, we, we talked a little bit about, about the Galatians list of the fruit of the spirit. That's the part, the coming to life part. Before the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, you need to put to death all these things, like he just told the Colossians. And as you put those evil things to, to death, that sinful nature to death, then the good things are going to grow. Then you're going to begin to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things lived out in your life are evidence of the sinful nature being put to death more and more. So what dies is that old sinful nature. It dies daily. We put it to death so that the nature of Jesus Christ can come alive in us. Why, why would we choose to do that? 
Why not just live, go through life? It's easier just to not fight that fight, right? Well, Paul tells us why in Romans chapter 6. So we just read it, verse 4. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. We die to self so that we may live a new life. There's a new and better life waiting for you, waiting for me in store for us. And yes, that new and better life is coming someday in the future, right? There's a new life, there's eternity, there's salvation waiting for us in Jesus Christ. Our daily transformation is evidence of, of God's saving grace in our lives. And, and that saving grace will be fulfilled at the end when we are resurrected perfectly with him. So yes, there's a final death and then a new life. But there's more than that. We don't just sit and wait for that to happen someday. We can experience, we must experience that new life right here, right now. Day in and day out. There's a new life on this earth that God wants you to have and wants me to have. There's a better way of living in our daily lives. So our dying to self enables us to truly live. To live more and more the way that God intended us to live. The more and more the way that God designed us to live. More and more the way that will bring us true satisfaction and true joy in life. Day by day as we put to death the old life, the new comes to life. Right? Paul in this passage gives us a pair of if-then statements. Right? In verse 5 of Romans chapter 6, he says, If we are united with him in his death, then you know what? We will be united with him in his resurrection. The, this old body of sin, this old self of ours will finally be crucified and, and, and the sinfulness will be executed fully and we will be resurrected someday with a new and perfect body for eternity. Right? So that's coming. But in verse 8, he says, if we died to Christ, then we will live for him. And he's talking about here. He's talking about now. This is sharing in Jesus' death and resurrection right here. Each morning, each day, every place that God places you. And we do these good deeds. We let this fruit of the Spirit grow in us. Not because we want to impress God. Not because that's our avenue to reaching the final salvation, the final resurrection. No, we do these good deeds because we're dying and rising with Jesus. We're taking that journey with him daily. Because sin no longer reigns, is no longer our master, Paul says. Because we have died to sin. And now we come alive to God. Along with Paul, Galatians 2, we say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is profound. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. I died to self, and Christ comes alive in me. So Jesus' death 
has transformed our death in radical ways. It's given us hope and assurance against that, that final horrible enemy, right? And death is still the enemy, still painful, still not what God designed for his creation. It's not what he wanted. It's, death is still a product of the fall. It's still a product of sin. And yet, our God has redeemed it, transformed it. And so our final death that each of us will experience unless Jesus comes home before then, our final death has now become a doorway of hope and joy. That's what question answer 42 tells us, right? It says that death puts an end to our sinning. That sinful nature will die on our death. It signals a final victory against this lifelong dying and rising again process. That final victory against that lifelong battle against sin. We will win through Jesus. And it also goes on to say that death is our entrance into eternal life. It becomes a doorway. Death is not an end. It's a doorway to a new beginning. An avenue to resurrection perfection. But we don't just simply mark our time here on earth. We don't simply just wait it out. Our daily dying to sin gives us a taste right now of the resurrection life that's to come. Just a taste. Right? We, we often wonder what heaven is going to be like, right? People often sit in my office and ask, what is, will I see my dog in heaven? What will this be like? What? All kinds of questions about heaven. It's the unknown that, that's so foreign to us. And in some ways it can become frightening to us. Especially as we get closer to that experience. And yet, as I think about it, I don't think heaven should be that foreign to us. Because what God is saying here is that we get to experience a bit of it here in this life. We get to taste it. We get to live it more and more each day here on this earth as we die to self. And are resurrected with Jesus. Right? We, we become more alive like Jesus. We, we become more of who we were created and will be recreated to be as we die to self and come alive to Christ. We become more like who we will be for eternity in that process. So what's heaven going to be like? Heaven is going to be fully experiencing in its perfection... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we get to experience those things right here, right now. We don't have to wait. As we live those things out, as we die to self and come alive to Jesus, we're experiencing heaven on earth. So in just a few moments, we're going to eat this bread and drink this juice as Jesus has invited us to do. And we're going to remember. We're going to remember Jesus' death. We're going to remember Jesus' resurrection. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so know that this is much more than just recalling a memory. Oh yeah, Jesus died. Oh yeah, he rose again. We need to remember that. But this is more than just that periodic slug of nostalgia. This is a commitment to let this memory Come alive today within us. To summon that dead past into the living present. So as we eat and we drink, be filled with gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. He died and rose again so that we might live with him for eternity. So we would have not just that hope, but that assurance 
that we will rise again perfect and whole by his saving grace. And as we eat and we drink, make a commitment to daily live a life of gratitude to him. To daily die and rise again. To daily die to self and come more alive to God. To daily become more alive to God who will transform you for eternity. And let heaven come to earth through you. So Jesus invites all of us to die with him and to rise with him. Why? So that you might live a new life. So if that new life is what you're interested in, if that's what you're wanting to receive, if you're willing to do the dying and the rising again, then welcome to the table. Is This table is where we come ready to die because we're ready to live. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you seems so little to say. But that's all we have is our gratitude. And so we come to say thank you for your willingness to die and rise again. Father, may our gratitude show up in our lives. May we be willing to follow your pattern. Help us daily to die to self. That we might come alive to you. Help us daily to die to sin. So that we might come alive to righteousness and holiness. Use us, Father, for your kingdom purpose. To bring heaven here onto this earth. Little by little. And so, Father... We remember and we let that past come alive in us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just read for you Luke 22 when Jesus gave this meal to us. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. <clears throat> 